Life's soundtrack can feel a bit like... But you can still change the station. With Delta Airlines, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Welcome back, everybody. And we've got a special episode of The Deal Board this week, and we're talking about small business solutions. So we talk a lot about buying and selling businesses, but we thought we'd bring on some business experts that can help you in your small business with some very relevant issues um, that most business owners face today. Yeah, uh, one of our guests is Devin Miller of Miller IP Law. And we've had uh, Devin on before, but this time he's talking about his own business. And what he did was he took, you know, you're seeing all this in the world, a uh, disruption and Devin decided to disrupt the IP law business. Mm -hmm. So if you're a startup or you're an inventor and you want to get top-notch IP law legal help with for flat fees, it's Devin. And uh, you're going to hear more about it. It's a, it's a great... It's a great interview. I love flat fees, right? When <laughs> we also have um, Tracy Bissett, she's with Bissett Financial Fitness. Now we talk a lot about books and records on the show, right, Andy? I think it's like probably our number one trending topic on the podcast. Yes. But Tracy, really, we have a great conversation around where entrepreneurs struggle in keeping good books and records. And she has some great tips and tricks on how to change your mindset around that and get some good practices in place. Um, so we've got a great interview with Tracy lined up as well. Excellent. Excellent. And we have Mark Trembley. He's talking about labor. And, you know, it was a conversation we had a while, a little while ago, but, you know, really the labor market has opened up somewhat, but still you have those issues. When you're a small business person, I would say the number one headache might be books and records when you're going to sell, but the number one headache along the way is help and getting the right help and putting the right people in the right seats. And Mark has a good, he was from the fitness industry. He has a really good uh, kind of outlook on it. And he has some good advice for small business owners. So we put this show together. We hope that in also introducing you about maybe potentially buying or selling, we're also giving you the resources to build a better business and build one that is going to be valuable to sell in the future. That's what it's all about. It's about keeping good books and records having a good system that you could pass along to someone else. And today is a, a, just a, another few tools that you can use. All right, let's get to it. Let's do it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we have a returning guest because I told you we'd have him back. 
because I, I just couldn't get enough of his story, but we needed to talk about one day here on the deal board, IP, and how important that is to uh, many businesses, almost every business, but Devin, welcome back. And uh, you're with Miller IP Law. And so let's talk about small business. I, it's not a big topic sometimes about IP, but it could be devastating, right? Or it won't even get you off the ground. You, you were starting to say that last time. So let's talk about like tips you would give small businesses about their IP. No, and one of the best TV shows that's helped with IP is Shark Tank because nobody knows what a patent or trademark is, but they go watch Shark Tank and they're like, if they need it, maybe I need it. So, well, setting the level set, maybe this would be helpful. What is IP or what is intellectual property? So that's basically an umbrella term. And so it kind of incorporates three different things below the umbrella. So patents, trademarks, copyrights. So patents are really inventions. If it does something, has a functionality, performs something, does something and that can be electronics, software, hardware, anything of those nature. Patents. Trademarks are really for brands. So if you have a brand, whether you're Nike, you're Starbucks, you're M&M, something that's a brand, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, all of those are, you know, you're likely not that big of a brand yet, but if you have a brand, that's under trademarks. Last thing is under copyrights. Copyrights are creatives. And so you think of Photos, pictures, movies, books, sculptures, paintings, any of those as a creative nature, that's under copyright. So really, that's what an intellectual property is. And now, kind of to your point of that, now, every business probably ha falls into at least one of those buckets. Some businesses fall into all three. Some businesses just fall into one. And so when you're looking at tackling intellectual property, it's really figuring out where your business is and where the value of your business is and then how, what do you need to protect? So give you a couple examples. Let's say you have the next best iPhone or the next best, you know, smartphone, and that's your product. Well, then you need a patent because you got a product that's, that's the core of your business. That's how you make your money. On the other hand, if you're the next Starbucks and really, you know, everybody sells coffee, but you have the really brand that everybody loves, then you need to protect it with a trademark. If you're writing the next best, you know, or book, next Harry Potter or whatever, Lord of the Rings or whichever book you like, then you're going to say, hey, that's where the value is. I need a copyright because that's where I'm going to make the money. So figure out what your value is and what you need to protect and then go about protecting it. Great. Great. So I, we always try to have people avoid mistakes uh, hmm. I'm sure you've seen lots of people uh, make mistakes that have cost them a lot of money. You know, one of the things that I've seen people make the mistake of, and I'll just bring one up and then you can bring up the other ones. The mistake hmm. is, is that they name a business, they go out there to the marketplace, they create all this stuff, and then they realize they just violated somebody's IP. Yeah. So, I mean, too many mistakes to... I'll, I'll hit it one. One is, you you know, you got both copyrights and, and, and trademarks. And kind of to your question, I'll answer it a bit broader, is copyrights and trademarks are kind of one that you figure, hey, we'll get this going. And you either you go and, you, you know, copyrights, you go to the internet and you find an image, right? And you say, oh, I just need this image for my company and I'll download it and not a big deal and I'm not going to worry about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get that cease and desist, hey, this is a copyrighted image and you're saying, great, now what do I do? Or vice versa, on the brand side, you're saying, hey, we're going to come up with this name. And it's a great name, and we love it. And we start to brand it. We start to get the URL. And then six months, a year, two years in, you come to find out somebody already owns that trademark. And now you're saying, great, we spent all this time, money, and effort to brand us only to find out that somebody else owns it. Now we either got to go pay them, get a license. We have to stop using it and rebrand or any number of things, none of which are fun. So I think that those ones are a couple mistakes. If you wait too long, 
um, on the trademark side until you've already you're already past due and yet now you're having to rebrand or on the copyright don't just go and click and download an image and hope that it works or that you know that nobody's going to catch you or anything else because internet's getting smarter it's easier and easier to find when other people are using your images so don't do that yeah, we, I've made the mistake of having, uh, I've gotten a nasty gram from a certain image company that uh, finds images that people copy from the internet and throw on a, your website or something. So uh, the, I've made that mistake, unfortunately. And I've made the mistake of having a trademark that we had, but we mm. only had it in the United States. And then we expanded internationally and we <laughs> had problems. And I'll give you an interesting site. Now, you're not alone. You know, so Apple, right? Everybody knows Apple and everybody wants to call the iWatch. Do you know why they branded as Apple Watch? No. So it was because trademark issues. So they were going to go out and do everything else is iPhone, right? iPhone, iMac, everything else has an i. And they went into, an, I'm pretty sure it was China, 95% sure now I'd have to go look it up. They got in and somebody else already owned iWatch in China. And they're saying, this is a huge market for us. And how do we do this? Do we do a split brand? And everywhere else, we call it an iWatch. We go to China, we have to do it. So they they came to the conclusion that, you know, and they tried to acquire it. They couldn't acquire it. And so they ended up branding it as Apple Watch. So if you ever notice, they don't call it an iWatch. They call it an Apple Watch. And when they released it, because just that same thing, they went international and they ran into problems. I also think that there's a confusion sometimes between a trademark and a copyright. You want to just tackle that for a second or two? Yeah, so, and it, it, it kind of gets into where it gets muddled. And so easy on the trademarks, if it's a name of a company, name of a brand, you know, if you're using a word, it's pretty easy to say, okay, that's a trademark. Same thing if it's just an image. Hey, I, I took a photo or I did a video clip, that's under copyrights. Where it starts to get muddled is when people kind of have that logo or, you know, kind of that image, that product image, or they have a character, you know, McDonald's, you know, the clown that they have and they're saying well is this a copyright or is this a trademark and generally where where you fall first of all you can likely probably protect it both ways and that's if you had the money that's how you do it if you're saying hey is this you know we only have one is it a copyright or a trademark then you're saying is it really something if it's on the trademark side is that image that we're using the logo or the image something they associate with their our brand and so they can i you know they can tell it's part of our our company and where is you know something we're selling or is it more of just, hey, that's a cool image that people tend to think looks great and it helps make our website look better or whatnot. So kind of depends on more as much on how you're using it as whether it's associated with your brand versus if it's just a cool looking image and then protect it that way. Wow. It sounds like there's a lot to this. So you've made it simple, right? You created Miller IP Law just to do this so you can help make it simple for entrepreneurs, inventors, uh, people who want to start a business, people already in business. So tell us how you do that for people. Yeah. So first thing that we we always try and do is and starting when I started in Miller IPL, I worked for some big top 100 law firms across the nation before I started my company. And one of the things I always found, especially with the startups and small businesses that have a, a small budget and they're always cost conscientious and every startup, the ones I've done saying, we got more things to spend money on than we have money to spend. And so we said, how do we, so they get scared or they say, hey, we don't have the money to just go sit with an attorney for two or three hours only for them to tell us that we can't afford it, or, you know, or that we, or we, we don't, we don't qualify or we don't need it. So we set up, you know, a strategy meeting that says, hey, 
come into our office, sit down with us for half an hour and let's go And whether that zoom, sit down with us face to face. Most of the time with COVID it's going to be zoom, but we sit down, we talk through and say, what are you doing? Let's talk about, it. let's strategize. This is a free consultation, free strategy meeting. You don't have to worry about, you know, the dollar signs racking up and everything else. So that's kind of the first thing. One of the other things that we did in, focusing on startups and small businesses. The other thing that everybody hates across the board with the legal industry is you never know how much things are going to cost, right? You go into attorney's office and they say, well, it will be five or 10 hours and we bill it $300 an hour. So you'll be at two to 5,000. And then you come out and by the time you get to the end, well, it's, it was, it took us a little bit longer and it was $8,000. And you're saying, well, we budgeted for two to $5,000 and we can't afford this. And now how do we pay for it? So one of the things we did is we said, let's do strat or let's do flat fees. So you know how much it costs before you get going. You know how much everything that includes governmental fees, attorney's fees, everything that gets it. So you file. So that's kind of one of the things I think that the legal industry doesn't do well that we're saying, how can we do this? So we've done a lot of those kind of things of how can we. I always ask myself, are we doing this because this is how the legal industry has done it for the last 100 years? Or are we doing it because it makes sense? If you're doing it because that's just how it's been done for forever, not a good reason. If you're doing it because it makes sense to me, absolutely. That's great. That's great. So if people wanted to get in touch with Devin and have a strategy meeting, what's the best way to do that? So I'll give you three ways. The first way is freestrategymeeting.com. Easy to remember, just like it sounds, go and grab some time. That leads right to my calendar. We'll connect up, we can talk, and we'll go through a strategy for your business. You want to find out just more about our prices, more about the firm, just go to lawwithmiller.com and that'll give you everything you need to know. And if you want to be my friend, you want to learn more about my businesses, you want to chat it up or get it, otherwise just connect up with me, you go to meetwithdevin.com and you can grab some time that way as well. Excellent. Devin, thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure we could talk for hours about this, and but you just got three ways to contact Devin and get involved and uh, talk to him and protect yourself and protect your company and protect your future profits. And let me tell you, coming from a business person and having uh, entanglements in copyright and uh, trademark, it gets very expensive later. So <laughs> get it done now. Thank you, Devin. Thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Welcome back, everybody. And for our deal of the, the week this week, we're joined by Aaron Fox from our Trans Royal Business Advisors of North Boston office. Aaron, thank you once again for coming on the show. Thank you, Jessica. Great to be back. So you've got a daycare story. It's, a, it's quite a story for our deal of the week this week. I'll let you start off by telling us a little bit about the business. Sure. So... This was uh, this was one of the I'd say it was the longer amounts of time that I've spent working on a deal because this one had every challenge that could be thrown at us was uh, we went under contract in about I think it was about first week of February of 2020 which we all know what happened in March of 2020 mm -hmm. and all of the daycares, the banks basically closed. And, you know, there was everything about it kind of just got put on hold um, with uh, the, the COVID challenges that were going on. And the seller, you know, was from the industry and it was a perfect fit, exactly you know, the location he wanted to be in and everything. And he, he just kept pushing to get everything pulled together on this deal. And 
when we finally, you know, banks got through the PPP lending, um, they, we got, we started getting responses from the lender on everything. And one lender just basically told us that, nope, we're not uh, the one that we had, you know, paid the deposit with said, nope, sorry, we're not lending on daycares because we don't see that they can actually have capacity. So we'll never see, we can't get any uh, debt coverage ratios. So we, you know, typically, you know, the, the saying, the um, SBA doesn't turn you down. The banks are the ones who are turning you down. So we moved on to the next bank and we found a lender that really was, um, had done a lot in the daycare space and was very comfortable with it and was confident that the industry was coming back. So they gave us a green light to proceed. No, I mean, it's just, uh, it's interesting because this year there's been so many challenges to overcome, but it's just like the same in any year where we're going to have a downturn or a recession, there's always going to be challenges. But I, I like that you guys pivoted to a niche lender, right? That understood the industry and knows that everything comes back eventually. So it sounds like eventually you got some good financing. Tell us a little bit about the buyer. Were they experienced in the industry or, or how did you find them? Thankfully, this buyer was overly qualified to do um, what what the buyer what he needed to do to get this daycare because that brought us to the second challenge of this where the entire um, state of Massachusetts had basically shut down so we couldn't get licensing approvals we couldn't meet with licensors to go through and get his evaluation as an owner so but fortunately the um, the uh, the uh, buyer had every qualification that was necessary to own and operate a daycare and had even done some turnarounds for the state to bring them into compliance with the licensing. So he was known throughout the state. Without that, I still think we would be um, pushing against a wall here with, with the state for approvals. It's not about uh, what you know, it's about who you know, right? <laughs> so that's Oh, yes. And I, I will say there were some some letters to senators. There, <laughs> there was a lot of um, there was a lot of uh, pushing on everyone's part to get a hearing on this one to make sure that these you know this school could reopen and could reopen under this new ownership. Wow. Well, it sounds like you used some SBA and some bank lending. Were there any other uh, deal structure components? Any earnouts or seller notes? At the very end, uh, just because of the delays with. Um, you know, Massachusetts allowing centers to come back to full capacity, we ended up adding a very small seller note that just went into uh, a working capital line for the seller and then and a two-year earnout on that. Nice. And we've seen a lot of that through COVID to solve um, some certain deal gaps or deal challenges to reduce the risk for both parties. So event, eventually you get this deal done. Tell us about the numbers. What was the SDE and what did it eventually sell for? Well, what was fortunate about it is it didn't involve property. So we got to be a little creative to make it match what the banks like to see. Um, it ended up selling at a uh, just a little bit over two, a two about a 2.1 uh, multiple on SDE. And all in came in just shy of a million dollars. Wow. Well, it sell, sounds like a hard fought, but well fought deal. Um, and eventually a good solution for, for both the buyer and the seller. Aaron, if someone's interested in buying or selling a business in the Boston area, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. You give me a call at 781-773-8922 or send me an email at afox at tworld.com. 
Great. Thanks so much. We'll drop that into the show notes. And thanks once again for coming on the show. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to our episode of The Deal Board. And today, I'm really excited to have a a special guest with us. We have Tracy Bissett with Bissett Financial Fitness. And, you know, we're always talking about finances on the show, and you guys probably get sick of hearing it from Andy and I, but finances are so important to your business when you're preparing for sale. So Tracy is on a mission to redefine the world's economic future by increasing the financial literacy of entrepreneurs, known as financial fitness. She has over 20 years experience in the financial services industries, and she can help entrepreneurs across all industries, both on and offline. She's the president and chief financial chief financial fitness trainer at Visit Financial Fitness, Inc., and she helps her clients understand and improve their level of financial fitness with a goal of increased confidence using their financial skills so they can be successful in their lives. In addition, Tracy is also a professor at Centennial College's School of Business and regularly leads speaking engagements to increase their financial fitness awareness. Tracy, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, like I said, you, uh, I mean, you, you speak our language and, and we talk a lot about <laughs> financial fitness in terms of getting ready for sale. So I'm sure you're going to have a lot of value to bring our listeners, but let's just start with what are the biggest mistakes you see entrepreneurs making when it comes to their finances? Uh, so, so the first one, it's either uh, one of two things. They're either completely delegating responsibility for the financial aspects of the business to somebody else, like a bookkeeper or an accountant or the head is kind of buried in the sand and they're not going to worry about those numbers. So that that's the first one. Um, second one, um, commingling their personal and their business expenses. We see that quite a bit, um, which can create problems when you're trying to get to the root of the issue. You don't know if it's your lifestyle causing problems or your business isn't generating enough money. So it makes it very, very challenging. Um, and the third would be um, financing business all on credit card debt. Mm, yeah, actually, we see a lot of that um, in getting ready for prepping for sale. And we talk a lot about, especially the personal and business um, mixing. It's it's very hard to present that to a buyer and create um, a sense of confidence in the numbers, mm-hmm. right? So what would be kind of as a follow-up question, say you have somebody that's in your first situation where they're totally either delegating or they have their head in the sand. Like what's your first kind of step forward to get out of that situation if you're an entrepreneur sitting there? Uh, The first thing is to realize that you shouldn't have an expectation that you already know this stuff. Uh, People start businesses or buy businesses because they're good at what they do and they excel at that. And the majority of people have not received any training in school about financial matters. So it's perfectly normal not to know, um, but it's not good and, and not great to move forward without taking that accountability. So number one is step up knowing that it's okay, you don't know, but then take accountability for that area of your business, just like you do your sales, the operations, service delivery, whatever it is you're doing, you need to carve out time in your schedule regularly to tap into that area, not only understand it, but use the numbers and the cash in your business to fuel your goals. I like that. I like that. So, you know, starting to learn. So like, what tools do you think entrepreneurs need to understand, to understand their financial position, assess their costs and profits, and and really start making money from the business? Um, So 
firstly, there needs to be some bookkeeping going on. You need to be able to look at your numbers regularly. And uh, we're kind of chuckling, but I do see pretty regularly, even up to like 2 million in sales, that regular bookkeeping doesn't happen. So um, that can be outsourced, but then the looking at the numbers and checking into them is super important. And I think that once you have a handle on your numbers, um, we don't need fancy tools right away. We should be able, and you should be able to sit down and, and either pull out the information or talk someone through, well, how do I set my prices and how do I know how much it costs? So if I'm, I'm selling an hour of service or I'm selling as a product, what are all the costs that go into that? And I should be able to jot it down on a piece of paper. Like we don't want to make it super complicated. We also should be able quickly to see not only what are my sales, like the top line, everyone gets excited about talking about, but we need to talk about that bottom line because that's where it matters. Uh, we can have unlimited um, potential to grow our sales, but if we're losing money on every sale, it really doesn't create a very um, valuable business and it creates a lot of problems. So I like to keep it simple. From there, you would upgrade and, and start using something like Excel, and then you could get into more financial modeling. Um, and as I said, you don't need to do the bookkeeping as the owner of the business. You can outsource that, but you've still got to read the information, make sure you can understand financial reports. And if you don't know how, get some help. Take a course, work with a financial coach, work with someone who can help you bring up your financial acumen, because uh, not only is it going to help you hit the goals in your business uh, from a practical standpoint, it also influences your credibility with people like lawyers, accountants, lenders. When you're going to get money, you want to make sure that they think you're competent and credible. And if you can't explain any of the financial results, that doesn't show a very good um, image and, and they don't get a very good impression. Right, right. Well, I think I think what you brought up about the simplicity is super important because in the entrepreneurial community too, I see often that people get overwhelmed, right? There's the new hottest tool or some new acronym. I mean, we even throw acronyms yeah. around on the show all the time, uh, EBITDA and SDE and stuff, but it really comes down to the basics, right? And you don't have to have some super fancy tool um, to, to complete this. And, and I agree with you. We, we work on multi-million dollar businesses and transactions that run just fine off of QuickBooks and Excel, right? So um, it, it does, it becomes overwhelming as a business owner. And I've been there too, where there's the, the new fanciest tool, the new hottest trend, and you feel like you have to learn everything um, and be implementing all this stuff to be effective. But it really comes down, have some good, simple bookkeeping practices in place, understand your revenue. I love that you brought up the profits too, because <laughs> um, that's another thing I see in the entrepreneurial community too, is this chasing that ego number of revenue over profit, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, the, the testament is, could you articulate the big numbers in your business in your, if you're having a conversation so that you have those top of mind? Um, it's not that you need to memorize numbers, but you have to know how much it costs to deliver something so that you can see if you're making any money. And the biggest issue I see with those companies, the sales, 100,000 to about 2 million, is that the owners aren't getting consistent paychecks. So then you got to dig into why is that? Because you didn't go into business not to get paid. Right. Most, very, most people don't. <laughs> very true. Which actually kind of leads into my next question. Because when we're getting ready to sell, um, buyers are usually financing the deal with a lender, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's how most of these transactions are done. And um, one of the questions I have for you is because you brought this up too, is when you're analyzing your financial statements, you know, what, do, what should an owner discover the lender is really going to care about in that situation? 
So a couple things, and I always view financial ratios. We want to um, use them and we want to understand their limitations. So we can understand year over year changes and the way trending happens. We can also compare it to benchmarks. Um, so you want to think about it from the perspective of who's looking at it. If someone's giving you money as an overdraft or line of credit, they care about your short-term ability to generate cash and pay you back, pay them back. So that's all about liquidity. And do we have a, a good cash flow um, cycle happening? If someone's going to give you a loan that you repay over multiple years, they're looking at, okay, what is the profitability? Do they have the ability historically to show that they can make these principal and interest payments to pay me back? Or has something happened in the business and I believe their plan that they're going to generate enough money? They're also looking at how the business is funded. Is it all funded with debt or is there some equity in there as well? And they want to make sure that there's a balance so that it's not this tipping point where if one more dollar of debt, all of a sudden, none of the payments can get made. They're they're analyzing that too. Um, So short-term loans really around um, liquidity. And then the long-term, it's about can you pay back the the money for debt serviceability? And then that leverage or that debt to equity uh, lens they're looking at it with. And if if you're a business owner listening and you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. But you do need to know and you need to learn. Yeah. And it'll come up in deals too, that debt debt to equity and and repayment for the long-term loans is super important to a buyer. Um, If you're looking to either buy a business or if you're sitting in a situation where you're getting ready to sell, it's important for you to understand too, because that's part of the deal that's going to come up. And we've talked a lot about on the show. If if your business is attractive to a lender, it also is more attractive to more buyers. There's not a whole lot of people walking around with a million dollars of cash in their pocket. They're, they're willing to just hand over for a business. Um, most people need lending or want to leverage lending in order um, to get more for their money in a transaction. So I agree with you. And it, again, it's more, uh, more ratios, more acronyms, but it's, it's a process of learning, right? Yeah. And it's about um, getting into your financial statements, knowing how to read them. And as an owner, uh, I don't think you need to do it all the time, but you should at least be able to calculate those ratios so that you see where the inputs come from. Um, Because what is super important I wanted to add is if you get into a deal and um, the lenders funded you, they may put financial covenants on your deal. Um, So you have to know upfront, am I going to be able to live within these or am I going to breach them? Because if you breach your covenants, they can take the money back. So you want to make sure that you understand, number one, what they're measuring you against, that you think you can do it. And if you think there's a problem that you speak up before you take that money. Yeah, this is a really good point. We don't talk about that a lot, but there is almost in every loan, there's financial covenants, right? And usually yeah, debt service or, or the leverage one. Right. And it's, it's important to read too. I think those pages sometimes get skimmed over in closings very quickly, <laughs> but it's very important to know uh, what your loan covenants are. So, so we've talked a little bit about how entrepreneurs can improve um, their financial fitness. Let's talk about what they do right. What do you see entrepreneurs um, do right for their money and maybe not even realize it or give themselves credit for So I'd like to think that people come and work with me to increase their financial acumen proactively and and because they want to better their their skills. Uh, But usually when I'm working with people, um, they've hit um, a patch in their business that's not going so well. Maybe they're having trouble making payroll. Things aren't just looking, um, they're not looking rosy. So they'll come to me and they'll say, I don't know anything about money. I don't know anything about my numbers. Um, I don't like that part. I'm scared of it, whatever. Uh, And I'll ask them, well, how long have you been in business? And if the answer is more than three or four months, I'll tell them, you know what? You know how to manage cash flow. 
-hmm. You might not do it in a nice, efficient way. You might not talk about it the way that I talk about or do it um, the way that I would do it. But if you've managed to run your business for more than a couple months, you do know how to manage cash flow because cash is the lifeblood of any business. And if you're continuing uh, your your operations, then, then you know how to do that. So I like to start from the positive so people can build on whatever foundation they have and then move forward to increase the knowledge. That's very true. I mean, I've said a lot too, is that you learn a lot about in your business when you're in that, those cash flow management situations and you learn a lot about yourself. And sometimes it's the most creative places, right? In those first few months or what we just went through with the, or mm-hmm. still going through with the pandemic, right? When you're in a crunch in the economy and in a cash crunch, entrepreneurs get really creative on cash flow management. Um, and it's, it, like you said, it's a huge skill that, that most people don't have, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like it's a creative period. You've learned a lot. Um, and sometimes maybe we don't tap back into that creativity enough once the business grows. Right. Well, for some people, it just feels like a squeeze and they're not, um, their creativity gets stunted. And so I highly encourage people to always have a cash flow forecast looking out six months into the future. Not that we have crystal balls, but if we foresee that something's going to be a problem, it's so much easier to brainstorm three to five solutions two months in advance than the day of when you don't have the money. So that it gives you a lot of peace and comfort as an entrepreneur to know that I might have problems, but I have ways already in mind that I can solve them. Right. Right. So what do you think entrepreneurs need to be accountable for when it comes to their finances? Um, that it stops with them. They need to be accountable for the results. As I said, it's okay to outsource the the bookkeeping and the completion of the the results, but they've got to be on that monthly. Um, Check out the trending, see if they're happy with where things are going, and then use the the cash, use those financial results and that information to drive the business forward. Um, It's part of the strategy. That's how you're going to accomplish where you want to, to get to. And so without the numbers, you can't really do that. There's so much power in the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and often, about, um, but, sorry, often people, no, will go tell, ahead. people will tell me, oh my gosh, it's so bad. I can't even look. And then when they look at the numbers and they actually quantify the issue, it's so much smaller than they've imagined in their mind. So sometimes you, an entrepreneur will do themselves disservice by not looking and then making the worst out of uh, what their minds can imagine. And that creates so much extra stress uh, and anguish on them, on their relationships, on their health and on the business. Yeah. It's, it's that uncertainty really that is creating the anxiety and maybe not necessarily the numbers itself. Right. That's right. And there is, there's so much power in numbers too, when you're, you're getting ready to sell a business is because your valuation is very driven by the numbers and, um, doing some of the analysis like Tracy talked about, or having a good relationship with your bookkeeper gives you clarity. Um, I liked how you talked about like, just, just knowing what are those major numbers or what's your revenue? What's your cost of goods sold? You know, how, what goes into that, that really gives you clarity on how can you ultimately increase the valuation of the business? Because we're looking at the net profit as a metric of valuation. So Absolutely. Then the the biggest or the most frequently asked question I get by entrepreneurs of any size is what is EBITDA? Because they hear it and they'll hear it on Mm -hmm. podcasts or they hear it in in movies or shows. And so everybody wants to know what it is, even though it doesn't, um, it is a useful metric, but it doesn't always have bearing in everyone's uh, financial situation because not everybody's going to sell their business at some multiple of that. Yeah, it is funny. It's become like a a hot term and it really, 
I, I haven't seen it related to anything um, outside, like outside of selling your business or using it as a multiple uh, for the earnings metric. But we talk about it a lot. But it is, um, and I see some entrepreneurs run their business as EBITDA as a KPI. And I even sitting as as a business broker, that's not something I'd really recommend because I think using your profit metric is is probably better. Yes, when you go to sell, we're going to use EBITDA for evaluation, but using that as a key performance indicator of how your business is doing, I, I don't think is a true reflection of the business. Yeah, and it's, um, it's meant to level up companies who are doing things in different ways, but it can be used as like a proxy for cash flow. So if they're tracking it from that perspective, it might make sense. But um, most of the people asking me, they've never heard, they don't know what it means and they think they're supposed to, and they think it's going to make or break their knowledge of of their business and the financials, but it's not that big of a, of a, of a key to the success. I know. So Tracy, so say we have some listeners here and, and they've listened and they're like, you know what? When we first started talking and we were talking about <laughs> having your head in the sand, they're saying, you know what, that, that's me. I hate to admit it, but I'll admit it to myself. That's me. What would be your piece of advice? Where What's the first step? Like, What's your biggest piece of advice for people that have been in that situation where they're maybe not super clear on their numbers? They've been afraid in the past. What's that first step you would tell them to take? Uh, dedicate time in your calendar to, to spending time with your numbers. And maybe the first time you're doing that, you're looking in your bank accounts. Maybe the next time you're looking at your financial results, if you have them, uh, if you don't have any, you're going to get on that and not necessarily that you're going to learn bookkeeping, but you're going to find a bookkeeper who can do that for you. Um, if you want someone to walk you through those kinds of things, um, you can reach out maybe to a fellow business owner who, you know, is more capable or, or somebody like me, who's a financial coach where you can get a crash course on your financial statements. How do you do, um, cash flow forecasting? How do you understand your pricing and your costing all of that stuff? Um, but but don't try to do everything at once. Just take one, one action, one step. I think we're all on this journey, um, especially business owners, to be financially fit in our business. And we can only move forward at the pace that we're going. So let's take one step forward every day. We might have some missteps, but that's okay. We can course correct. Um, but keep going. Let's not give up. I I love that one step forward. Don't give up. So Tracy, thank you so much for joining us on our our show today. I know you have something to offer to our listeners. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about working together? Absolutely. So I know that some people will be excited to get started, but they don't know where to start. And so you're, you're going to dedicate that time in your calendar and the gift that I have, it's a money meeting agenda. So if um, you're running your business on your own, you're going to have this meeting with yourself and go through this agenda. If you have a partner, you're going to do it together. Uh, So it's a money meeting agenda. You can get it at cashcoach.biz. So cashcoach.biz, you can download it now and you'll be able to get started right away. Um, From there, you'll be linked over to my website. And if anyone has comments or questions, love to hear from you on LinkedIn. So Tracy has an E and Bissett has two S's, two T's. And we'll drop all that into the show notes as well. So if you're listening on iTunes or whatever, just click on the show notes and you can go directly to those links. Tracy, I really appreciate your time and expertise that you shared with our listeners today. Thank you so much for joining us on the deal board. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And it is deal of the week. And we have Justin Lefebures from Trans World Business Advisors of Central Florida. 
Justin has a great contractor, roofing contractor, and the trades are doing extremely well here, and it's a great deal. Been in business for a long time. Justin, tell us about it. This is a great deal, Andy. This is probably one of the best ones I've seen in a while. It's a roofing repair business. It's been in business here for about 30 years, great reputation on the Treasure Coast. Um, this business doesn't do any re-roofs, no new roofs, no new construction. 90% of his business has been directly with residential homeowners. So it makes it a great opportunity for uh, someone who's looking for a business that may be isolated from the political environment or uh, any kind of economic downturn. We've got 30 years of uh, proven history, books, clean, excellent clean books and records for him to look at or any purchaser to look at. Yeah, that's it. Sounds like a great deal. I mean, I always love businesses that have been around for decades. It's very hard uh, to, you know, hurt a business like that. So, so give me, give us an idea of what the numbers look like. So the numbers are great, Andy. This business does about 200 or 800, 800 and 800 to 900 in sales. The SDE is right around 250 and a solid 250 for as far back as you'd like to see. Sure. And how much are they asking for it? They're asking 550000 and uh, I've also got this one. This one, the seller is willing to do a significant amount of uh, seller financing, uh, but we just got this one pre-approved by two different banks uh, through SBA, so we're spot on with this one. We, it, can, it can go either way. Sounds like a great deal. Justin, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? You can reach me directly on my cell phone. That number is 772 925 2675. Or you can reach me on my email at jlefebures, L-E-F-E-B-U-R-E at tworld.com. Great. Great. Thanks for coming on today, Justin. Sounds like a great deal for someone to buy. Yes, sir. Thank you, Andy. Have a great day. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And I have a very special guest. We are talking about small business issues and how to overcome them. And one of the big issues these days is is labor. And I have a very special guest with me. I have Mark Tremblay from Transworld Business Advisors of Boston, North Boston. And uh, I am up here uh, on on a, one of my many road trips around the country, and it's always good to get uh, advice from many of our uh, many of our people uh, have come from other industries over the years. And Mark, you were with a franchise or a multi-unit uh, fitness company, correct? Correct. I was a multi-unit uh, owner uh, based out of Boston, and I owned three stores in Massachusetts and one in Florida. Okay, and so. And you were telling me before we started this that one of your big issues was help. And so how did you try to overcome that? So we we learned along the way that um, rather than utilizing one full-time and one part-time trainer, uh, which left left us with a lot of exposure, we we tended to uh, shift more towards all part-time employees and maybe moving moving the uh, demographic up a little bit in age so that we got a little bit more consistency in our um, ability to train. Yeah, so you were talking about that you were always looking for that type A young trainer, and you would find that, you know, you'd hire people and they'd kind of move on, right? Correct. You know, the type A young trainer, once they get established, want to do more and do more on their own, um, and they want to be the face of the business, and it's really hard 
to become the face of the business when it's somebody else's business. Right. So so you, one of the pivots was, hey, let's get some more part-time people. That certainly gives you flexibility of filling shifts, right? Correct. And it allowed us to cover more hours um, on a consistent basis and not have to worry if somebody was getting burnt out. Um, fitness is difficult. It starts early in the morning. It breaks in the middle of the day, and then it goes you know, later at night. So for most full-time trainers, that really does cause burnout. When you start to break it into part-time hours, it allows people to be fresh. Yeah, so so that was one way. And, and it's a tight, tight label market out there, right? And it's been that way for a few years now. Very tight and, um, you know, a lot of different opportunities. So it's hard to find people that, you know, aren't looking to do more. Um, and, you know, are they not really... Um, restricted to just staying with one place. Right. So that's certainly a unique uh, problem that a lot of small businesses are having in the labor market. Any other things that you felt you were able to overcome that was an issue for small businesses that you want to discuss? Well, definitely, um, you know, the labor was really important and also um, making sure the clients were were serviced um, was really a big issue. Personal training does mean personal training. So we really tried to focus on making the experience as, as uh, remem- remar- remarkable as possible. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, and, and we talk about that a lot, even at Transworld, uh, we talk about the level of service and you want to make sure that you have a consistency out there. So what are some of the things that you did to try to make sure that your people consistently gave that remarkable service? One of the first things that we really tried to um, implement was just when anybody walked in the door for our trainer or whoever was on the floor to say hello, to greet people by name, and if they didn't know their name, to introduce themselves to the person walking in so that there was a level of comfort right from the beginning. Yeah, and, and and you were in women's fitness, which I know... Uh, historically, they're looking for a certain type of atmosphere to be able to work out in peace. Sure, not in peace and, and to not be judged. Um, the women members that we had like to consider this this, speci- this was a special place for them to go, to be themselves, to not have to worry about who else was uh, wearing what and doing what, that they could just go and uh, enjoy their time trying to stay healthy. All right. And you successfully ran that business for how many years? Ten years. Ten years. And you decided to, it was time to go? Yeah, I couldn't wait to get to Transworld. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, so you know, I, we love that when uh, our own people, and a lot of times, have been through the process themselves of selling their business. And But, you know, you would recommend to people, I always think that small business is something that is underutilized out there as an investment and as a career for for young people, you would you would recommend people do this, right? Absolutely. I I loved my time in the business. Um, there, the health and wellness business, there's a real sense of pride in when you see transformation and results. The feedback that you get from your clients is priceless. Yeah. So so you would recommend that people call you and get in the business. It's Absolutely. A great time. We were talking about it today that we think this decade. Uh, is going to be a great one to get into business and be in small business. Yes, and not only just to be in small business, but to be in a business that uh, you can change people's lives. Yeah, that's great. So if uh, somebody wanted to buy a business that they could change their people's lives with, uh, how best to get in touch with you? Uh, The best way to reach me is to call me directly. That's 617-299-9796. 
and uh, I will speak to you immediately. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. You might not realize it, but life has a soundtrack. For most of us, it sounds a bit like... But you can always change the station. In hundreds of Delta Airlines destinations, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.